Good morning, everybody. Uh, I hope you guys had a great week. The weather has definitely changed. Um, I'm loving seeing all the fall colors coming in. Um, as I drive down to the office down in Lacey every day, get to go down that Nisqually Valley and just how beautiful that area is. Uh, and then Gwen and I yesterday, we drove over to Ellensburg and back. Got to have lunch with our son who's over there and uh, watch a college football game. And man, I'm telling you, the, the mountains are just beautiful right now. We're starting to see some snow up in the really high peaks. Uh, it was a beautiful drive over there and back. Um, and yeah, it's just, I love the fall. I love this time of year. So uh, I hope you had a great week. And uh, yeah, as we go into this study on the book of James, it's going to kind of take us through the winter um, that we'll be pausing it for an Advent series during December, uh, kind of moving through that. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to this study in James. If you were here last week, you were here for week number one. That's awesome. You're all caught up. If, if you missed last week somehow, I would recommend hopping online, listening uh, to the, the sermon that's online. That way you can catch up. You'll have sermon number two here, and then you'll be ready to go as we, as we continue through this series. In this series, we've titled Faith That Works. Um, we truly believe that salvation is based on Jesus Christ and the cross his death, his burial, and then ultimately that resurrection on the third day. And, and it's that simple. There's a, a faith that's placed in that, that says, hey, I'm a sinful person, uh, and, and, and I'm a, a rebellious person, uh, and, and in and of myself, I choose a lot of selfish and sinful things, and yet I see Jesus Christ as the Savior, and he's offering me this gift of salvation. He writes our relationship with God, he takes care of that. He paid the price for our, our sin and our transgressions by shedding his blood on the cross. And, and we lean into that. We say that is what the gospel message is all about. It's faith in Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did. But then after that, we truly believe it is so important to move forward in your faith. Stop living the way you were and, and do a, a 180 and, and start working towards the cross, the, what the, the cross is all about, the gospel message. Live a different life. And you'll trip, you'll fall, you'll do some things that maybe you're not proud of, uh, that are sinful, that are just wrong and against God. And yet even then, God is there with you and he wants you to repent of those things and continue to move forward. But again, salvation takes place when you place your faith in Jesus Christ for that free gift. So when we talk about faith that works, we talk about what you and I are called to as believers, we are serious about it, and yet we want to acknowledge the place that's in, that this isn't like you have to do these certain things to secure your salvation. So we want to be crystal clear on that, especially these first couple of weeks, that James is going to talk about, hey, you guys are saying you're following Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you, you believe in the way that he's called you to live, and yet you're still doing things that are sinful. And, and James is going to say enough of that. Let's, let's stop doing that. And he's going to work his way through. And so everything in our life falls under that umbrella of salvation. Everything we do, everything we say, how we act, we need to ask ourselves, is this how God would want me to be behaving? And so that's kind of what, where we're going with, in James. We believe that a, a faith in God 
works its way out into our lives. That's where we're heading. So today we're going to be looking um, at a section that is on money. Okay, so James is going to come out early in this book and talk about money. And, and, and one of the things I was thinking about this week, I don't know if you remember, I'm an old person, but there was a movie in, I think it was the late 80s, called Brewster's Millions. Do you guys remember that one? Brewster's Millions. I see a couple people nodding their heads, right? Brewster's Millions, the premise of that, just real quick, is there's a, a, a poor, like, lifer in the minor league type baseball player uh, who is is inherits... Uh, his inheritance is based on if he can spend $30 million in 30 days with nothing to show for it. And if he's able to do that, he will inherit the entire $300 million. And there were some caveats put in place by the lawyers. You can't tell anybody what you're doing. Um, you can't own anything at the end of it. You can't overpay for something. Uh, there were a lot of these caveats. And remember, in the late 80s, $30 million, well, I mean, come on, even today, $30 million is a lot of money. But he had to spend this $30 million. And while he's blowing through this inherent inheritance, this apparent inheritance of just the $30 million, all of his friends and everybody he comes in contact with is like, what in the world are you doing? You've gone crazy. You're spending all this money, right? And the way that he was not taking care of his money was something that the the movie was basically based on. It was watching this guy try to blow through this money. And, And so money matters. It matters in this world and it matters in God's eyes. You've heard it said that money isn't everything, but that's really easy to say when you hear it from, or for the person to say when, when they have a lot of money, right? And so you have people who don't have a lot of money, uh, that, that want more money. They want to work harder. They want a better job. And so in light of that, what does God have to say about that? The truth is money is an issue for most of us. No matter what people come into my office for, for marriage counseling, uh, I would almost say 100% of the time, but let's just throw out 80% of the time, if not more. Money is somewhere in that equation. It's causing some stress that then may rear its ugly head through different areas or different ways. But money is, is, is kind of an issue it's not even kind of an issue. It's an issue in most families and most marriages because there never seems to be enough. I don't know how many of you chased jobs or promotions. Um, I did a little bit of that at Costco. I'm, I'll be the first to admit that. If I could just get to the next level of management, we're going to be fine, right? We're tight right now, but if I can just get to this next job, Everything will be better. What, what would happen, though, when I got to that next level? Yeah, I just spent more. There wasn't enough. And so then I wanted the next job, and I wanted the next promotion, and next year I'll get that raise. And man, what a rat race it was. And even for people who are following the Lord, Gwen and I put some really godly principles into our marriage early that we have not wavered on. And yet, and God honoring ways of taking care of our money by the grace of God. And yet we still, at least I can speak for myself. I won't speak for her. I still chased that next raise, that next job, that next promotion. Because there's never enough. We always want to do a little bit more. And even if it's good things, 
Vacations with the family, the new car because it's safer, a little bit bigger house so we can have people over. You know, we can justify it any way that we want to, but there never seemed to be enough. Have you ever had the situation where you've saved for a vacation or, or for the roof? I mean, we got to put a roof on our house or, or you know what? Fill in the blank. doesn't matter what you're saving for, but you save and you scrimp and you get that stash to where it needs to be and you're about ready to spend it. But then what happens? Right. Something unexpected happens, right? Now there's a burst water pipe. There's a dead refrigerator. There's a health emergency. It doesn't matter how much you try to save, something always comes up. Money, money, money. And it just seems like so often that's the way. And, and so these financial crises a lot of times that I see is, is one spouse wants to spend money or energy and time on one thing. And the, the other spouse wants to do it a little bit differently. So there's that tension and then that tension, it boils over into everything. The way they're raising their kids, the way that they treat each other in front of other people, what happens on date night. All those things are affected by money. Lack of a lot of times or even just too much, but not knowing how to filter that through a a godly lens. And we know that the Bible has a lot to say about money. By preaching through books, we start at verse 1, we work all the way through the end of every book that we preach on, we see money comes up in a lot of these books because, most of them, because uh, money is a necessary evil. It's something that we need. And so, so God has a lot of things to say on that. And he wants us to, to grow in wisdom because money matters to God too. Right? And we, we need to know that as believers. The Bible has a lot to say about that. Jesus had stuff to say about it because it does matter to God the way that you use your money. Today, James is going to do several things as he brings up financial status, money, trials, poverty, riches, life and death. And that's all in three verses, guys. We're only doing 9, 10, and 11 today. Chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. He's going to level the playing field between the rich and the poor. He's going to challenge you and I. Where does your treasure truly lie? He's going to encourage any one of us who's in the middle of a financial crisis right now. He's going to encourage us today, right? He's going to warn those who are financially sound. You may be sitting out there going, Pastor Mark, that's just not the case for me. Whether it's an inheritance or a great job or whatever, or even just financial wisdom, you may be saying, it's just not an issue for me, Pastor Mark. I could probably check out of these three verses because it's not an issue. He's got something to say to you today too. And finally, I truly believe that James highlights the gospel in all of this. And that's what we're looking for, right? Every time we come here on Sunday, as we're looking into God's word, we're looking for where the gospel is in this story, in this principle that we're learning, where is the gospel? James will explain to us all that the use of, and and possibly even more importantly, our view of money matters. So use it for the gospel. Our view on money, how we use it, and how we view it matters. Use it for the gospel. So let's dive into chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. We're going to read it through, and then we're going to look at some of the principles found there. 
Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let's pray as we dive into this passage. Father God, we just come before you today and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'll work in our hearts. No matter where we are in regards to money, the stress, the, the issues that might come from money in our relationship, whether we're married, whether we're single, whatever status we are in life and in our job, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll speak to each one of us today. Help us to be better stewards of what you have given us. Help us to have a gospel outlook on everything, including money. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we look at money matters, right, and using it for the gospel, as we look at these three verses, we're going to identify a couple of subjects that we find in there. We're going to identify the imperative. We're going to identify the what, and then we're going to identify the why. And so let's start out with the subjects. There are two subjects that are being addressed as James discusses this important topic. It's right there in front of us, the lowly brother, we see that there, and then we see the rich. Uh, and, and so as we kind of look at that and we go, okay, we got two different groups here. Let's go a little bit further. The, the lowly brother is definitely referring to someone lowly in his financial state. And we know that because we're, uh, we're, we're contrasting that to verse 10 where James writes about the rich. So lowly, this isn't necessarily in stature or in status in the society or anything like that. This is, this is talking about whether you have money or you don't have money. And, and the second thing to note here, uh, as Kevin and I were reading and praying over this passage this week, uh, and most commentaries that we read, uh, authors that we really trust agree on this. This is about brothers, or like we said last week, brothers and sisters, which is the implication in the writing. Um, this is about those who are in the family of God. Because some people, there are a couple extreme views that try to say that the when he says brother, that's talking about Christians, but the other, the lowly, doesn't identify it. This is about non-believing people, and it just doesn't make sense to me, at least in light of all of this. So we're talk. James is talking to Christians. He's talking to those who have placed their faith in his brother. Jesus Christ, the resurrection that had just happened. He's writing this book early, right? And, and, and this is going out to Christians, uh, whether they were rich or poor. And so we want to, we want to know that, um, and, 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 and assume that, that they're all followers of Jesus Christ at this point. The author, uh, assuming that we should insert brother boast after the rich is, is kind of where we have gotten to on that. Um, and so he's just left it out because he knew it would be implied, uh, there verse nine and 10. And so that's where we've come to on that. With that being said, let's talk about our subjects for a minute and what James is saying versus what he's not saying, right? To each of those groups. And, and we're going to take them in reverse order. To be honest, James is especially hard on the rich. 
In fact, we're going to see in chapter 2, he warns of the sin of partiality towards the rich that might happen in our church, right? Here at the GraceWorks, you make a lot of money, you give a lot of money, you get to come sit up here in the front row, right? That's what was going on back then. Obviously, I was being I was being sarcastic there. That's not the way it is. But my point is, that's what was happening in the church in that day. The good seats were for those who were in good standing, had a lot of money, and were given. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's in chapter 2. We're not there yet. But, but James is hard on those who have money and those who are rich. He's calling them to a high standard of living. And I'm not talking about just having a nice car and a nice house. Right, generosity and, and and taking care of those who are truly in need and all those things. James is going to be really hard on them, and, and so we'll get to that in James chapter two. What James is saying is there are certain spiritual traps that one can fall into if he's rich, and we're going to talk about that more in a moment. James is not saying he's not saying that Christians who are rich cannot be close to God. So if you're sitting out there today and God has blessed you with great jobs, you've done well in your investments, you've just been lucky. I don't care how you got it. God can be as close to you as he can to any person. So James isn't saying just because you have means, you can't be close to God. Not at all. But he is going to give some some stern warnings. Um, on the other side, the lowly brother, the one who doesn't have it, the contrast that we're seeing between these two groups of people, uh, poverty is seen sometimes in a positive light, right? And in this one, it is. It's like, if you, hey, if you don't have a lot of money, you're going to have to trust God and you're going to you know, do these things a little bit easier. What James uh, is saying is there are certain spiritual truths that are simply easier to grasp from a position of poverty, lowliness, right? If you don't have a lot, a lot of the things that are said in scriptures make a lot of sense and you're going to lean into God and you're going to trust him and you're going to do some of those things. But what James is not saying, and there has been some that have preached a poverty gospel is that you, if you really want to be close to God, you got to give away everything you have. You got to not have anything in your life, right? You give away all your earthly possessions, no matter what you make, you just you keep the minimum you can and get rid of everything else. That's not what James is saying either. James is obviously not setting up financial poverty as a requirement of Christianity. That's what I talked about in the beginning. There are no requirements to Christianity other than coming to the foot of the cross, falling flat on your face, and saying, God, I need you because I can't do this on my own. But then once we've done that, and as we move forward in our faith, a faith that works, there are some things we need to know. And, and so about being rich, about being poor, no matter where you're at, maybe you're just average right down the middle. There are still lessons to be learned when it comes to money. Being poor or lowly doesn't necessarily mean you're more holy. We are called to be holy as Jesus Christ is holy, all of us, no matter where your financial standing is. And so we need to know those things. Those are the subjects in this passage. Now let's look at the verb or the imperative of our passage, and that is boasting. Our text says uh, to boast, right, in our situation, whether rich or poor. That's the imperative. This is the command, right? Now you may think to yourself, Pastor Mark, I think you misspoke. 
right? Wait a second. Boasting isn't a good thing. It's arrogant. It's prideful. Our parents tell us not to do that. Now I'm teaching my kids not to be boastful. Uh, you know, that you, you got to be wrong. But boasting in scripture here can take different forms. Because although what you're thinking is correct, there is a good kind of boasting. It can be the arrogant boasting. Look what I have. Look what I've done. Look how much better I am than you. And that is not good. That is bad. You're right. But... If you look on the other side of that, the non-arrogant side, right? There's this sense in the Bible when it talks about boasting in God or boasting in Christ that is a good thing. It's not a sinful thing, but actually it's glorifying to God. It's more along the lines of giving proper acknowledgement to where the credit is due, If I can boast in anything, may it be in Jesus Christ. Okay? Poems have been written. Songs have been written about that. There's other scriptures that point towards that idea. If there is anything good in my life, I want to be able to take that as somebody notices it or acknowledges it and turn it to God. Right? If if I have anything in my story that, that is good or positive... Can I point people towards Jesus Christ by using it that way? So we want to speak greatly of God. Other translations would say the glory or to rejoice. This is a praise to God. So if you come in and you're talking about a a promotion you got at work and you give glory to God, amen, right? But if you come in and you say, hey, I got a new promotion and it cost me 65, 70 hours a week, and really I just got to ignore my family, and I worked really hard, and you know, I mean, I'll get back to them someday, but man, I'm working hard, and I'm really good at what I do, and that's the wrong kind of boasting. That's the wrong kind of arrogance, and that's not what James is talking about here. The who, the about what we boast makes all the difference in the world. Who are you pointing people towards as you're having the conversation about what's going on in your life? If I boast about me, if I boast in any way that the attention is on me, well then, that's a sin. I'm, I'm wrong. I literally am doing something that is going to do harm to the gospel. On the other hand, if I boast in Christ and I speak greatly of God and what he has done in my life, that is perfectly appropriate because God is great. So again, boasting can have two sides of the coin. Attributing God's worth and greatness back to him, that is our imperative. That is what James is talking about here. doesn't matter if you're poor, boast in how God takes care of you. It doesn't matter if you're rich, boast in how the Lord has provided, and then use... What God has given you to bless those around you. To, to be responsible to what Holy Spirit has called you to do with what you've been given. And I'm going to venture to say that although we struggle with finances, and everybody in this room, probably at one time or another, whether you are right now, has struggled with finances. The large majority, I would almost venture to say in this church, at this campus, we are rich people. Okay? We, we don't understand the economy scale, what's going on in the rest of the world. Some of you do better than us uh, because you've been there more often or you've seen more. But a lot of us don't get it, okay? Just because you're a family that only has two cars doesn't mean you're poor, 
right? Just because your house is only 1,600 square feet doesn't mean you're poor. And, and so again, I think this is really apropos the idea of knowing where we should put our boasting, our honor, and our glory towards God and not towards what we ourselves do. And so, again, we want to attribute all worth to God. We want to attribute the greatness back to him. That is what James is talking about here. That is the imperative. And so let's look at the what. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. This phrase is awesome, and and, and it probably would have resonated with most of the Christians that were reading this letter from James, right, when he wrote this book back in that day. Remember, these Jews were part of the dispersion, okay? These Jews had been scattered. There was heavy weight of Roman rule on the Jewish people. This means they were uprooted. A lot of them didn't have a home or at least a big home. They didn't have roots in the community. They might have been jobless, homeless, poor. And so when James wrote this, there were a lot of people that identified with the lowly parts. So again, that's why we thought it's so important to understand that James is talking to both the rich and to the poor. They're both brothers and sisters in Christ. Because in this day and age, a lot of them would have been, yeah, I identify with the lowly. I understand that. And, and probably a lot of us in this room, even with the financial issues or troubles we might be having, we, we need to, or we should at least acknowledge we're probably closer to being on the rich side. But James here is saying, we want you to know what to boast in, right? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Well, why? Why would the lowly brother boast in his place and position in life of being poor? Right? Well, there's a couple things that we noticed this week. The first, being without actually has spiritual benefits. We talked about that briefly at the beginning. Those who are struggling financially have nowhere to turn but to God. Right? I'm struggling. I'm working hard. It seems like I can't catch a break. That's a great place to meet God. Right? Because you're struggling. You're in need. Right? And, 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 and then if, if God comes through or when God comes through for you, you see his hand in that and you give honor and glory to God. And it produces this reliance on God that maybe rich people struggle with because they think they can rely on their own. Right? And, and so we need that dependence. We need strengthening in our faith if we, if we don't have and we see that. Now, being lowly also fosters humility. It's often an easier uh, concept to accept as part of life, right? And, and the gospel pushes forward this idea of being humble. And if you have a lot of wealth or if you have means, sometimes it's hard to be the humble person. It's just natural. This is just who I am. And, and so being on the lowly side might help you move forward in humility because the gospel says we're all spiritually bankrupt. All of us, it's a level playing field before God. And that's what's important. Again, how is James preaching the gospel through this message here? Those struggling financially develop compassion for other people. Okay? It is, it is really interesting um, 
those in our church who have needed help before, uh, we call that benevolence, um, and it's part of our budget. We're talking about budget season, um, and benevolence doesn't have a budget line. Money that's donated to benevolence or the benevolence fund is given by you separate from normal giving, and that money comes in, and then we're able to help out those in our church body right? With bills or, or, you know, something maybe they don't know about that comes up, a health situation, whatever it is, we as a church body can take care of people in our own church, okay? And some of you may be like, I didn't even know that existed. Well, it does. And and so every month when we get in benevolence money from peoples in the church, we put it in this fund. It's not touched for anything else, right? If we're short in another area, we never touch benevolence. Benevolence is for each other, for those needs, right? And those needs go before the board. The board offers help, whether it's financially or financial and teaching wisdom. Because like if you're struggling with money and you're short, we want to see if we can help you tangible ways, right? Not just giving you money, but helping you along, right? So what we've noticed though, is people who've come to the board and needed help, when, when their lives have turned the corner and things have gotten a little bit better, they're the ones that tend to be the most generous back to the benevolence fund. Why? Because they've received, they've needed, they were in a dire time and the church came through and helped them along. And now as God's provided them with maybe a different job or more income or, or the health uh, has returned, now they've, they want to give back towards that, Right? Uh, Kevin and I were talking about, uh, you know, like I, I don't watch a whole lot of TikTok or any of those sort of things, but Kevin brought up these, these social experience, uh, experiments where they'll go in to a grocery store dressed like a, you know, maybe a homeless person or somebody who doesn't have a lot of means and they just have like a couple of things, maybe a banana, maybe a little thing of milk, you know, and they try to, they tell the story and, and how many people won't help them, won't buy those couple of grocery items, right? But what Kevin was telling me and the social experience that is going on, and some of you may know if you watch these things, is the people who don't have a lot of money, you can already tell that they're probably scraping by just to get the few groceries that they have. They're the ones that tend to say, yeah, I'll buy, I'll buy your banana and your milk and, and that little loaf of bread for you the people who don't have it. And so, again, we want to know that, that James is pointing these things out. The, the, the poor understand being poor. And we all should, because of the gospel, we need to understand that. But the poor understand that. So the gospel changes everything is the second thing. We want to look at, at those being without actually has those spiritual benefits. That's what we were just talking about. The second thing is the gospel changes everything. John 1 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, he gave the right to be called children of God. No matter what your financial status is, that's the truth. The riches of heaven and of earth belong to God, our father. We are in Christ and are indeed some of the richest people in the world, and that's something to boast about. And it says, and let the rich brother, we got to pop ahead to the next one, boast in his humiliation. Again, a couple things popped out to us. The first is being rich can have some spiritual disadvantages. The rich can often buy their way out of trials. If I have a bunch of money set up and something happens to me, I don't need to look to God. I don't need to look to the church. I can take care of myself. And that hinders steadfastness that we talked about last week. 
Remember we talked about staying in the trial, working our way through it. Sometimes those with means can buy their way out of it. And instead of learning in that trial, they just got themselves out of it. Financial well-being can create, create that reliance on money rather than on God. So instead of looking to God, you're always looking to your bank account. Well, I need to get that back up to X amount of dollars. And if I can get it up to X amount of dollars, I'm going to feel real good. But then when you get to X amount of dollars, then what do you want to do? You want to get to the next level, right? We already have talked about this. So we want to rely on God. We want to be steadfast. We want to rely on God instead of money. And wealth can also lead to pride. Even those who are doing it right can find themselves tempted to be prideful. I understand godly principles. I'm applying them to my life. Why can't the rest of y'all get it? Right? I mean, that's an area that can be pointed back to pride. What are those people thinking about? And then two, again, the gospel changes everything. You must become like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to trust in Jesus, his death on the cross, admitting that we need him, that we are sinful, that we are spiritually bankrupt, and that only Jesus can provide that for us. Those are a couple of ways that, that, that the rich might struggle in that humiliation, that, that seeing themselves for who they are in God's eyes, not in their own eyes. So James says, poor brother, boast in your exaltation, who God sees you as. Rich brother, boast in your humiliation. Again, a proper view of who you are. And that brings us to the final point today, the why. We need to understand the why. We've seen the subjects, the poor and the rich, the imperative to boast in God, the what. And now we see the why. First off, the illustration in verse 11. James uses here one that is brutal. Right? To all of us, we are, we're envisioning this field, this beautiful field, and the green grass, and the flowers, and then look what happens to the flowers. What happens to the flowers? They fall on the ground, they die. And that's what James is saying about us. You and I, right? The flower falls and the beauty perishes. James' message is clear. It doesn't matter how big your bank account is right now. It doesn't matter how many followers on Facebook. I don't know, nobody uses Facebook anymore. But what about Instagram, right? How many people you got following you on Twitter? Maybe you're like, hey, I don't get into that social media thing, right? It doesn't matter how many promotions you've received, how many degrees you have, how many investments you have made that have paid off, right? None of those things matter. What does James say? We're like a flower in a field, and that scorching heat comes, right? The the end is the same for all of us. It doesn't matter what kind of shape you're in right now. You can't rely on that, because death will come to us all. Your perfect skin is going to wrinkle. Your hair is going to gray. Then your hair is going to fall out. We know from other places in scripture, your beauty will perish. It's going to happen. And James is crystal clear about that. You can be the richest person in the world, but you won't cheat death. And when you die, your earthly riches don't mean anything because you can't take it with you. Death, death, the idea, the concept, the reality, the truth of death gives the rich humility. And it gives 
the poor hope. And we looked at, at, at why that's the truth. And, and the two great equalizers are death and what we talked about earlier, the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ, the, the reality, the truths of a crucified savior bring all of us to the foot of the cross on the same level playing field. doesn't matter how much money you got or how little you got. If you come to the cross desiring a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you will find it. And since death is coming to us all, right, for you and I, the gospel does matter. Because the gospel is about what happens to us after death. And that matters. Believe in Jesus and live the rest of your life as an offering of thanks for your salvation. Have a faith that works. It's so rewarding. It's so good. It's what you and I were made for. A relationship with God. So let's review these applications just really quick as we end our service today. Money matters, so use it for the gospel. There are going to be trials in your life. If you're not in it now, if you didn't just recently come out of one, you might be going into one that has to do with money. We talked about that last week with just trials in general, but in money, it's the same thing. No matter how well you think you're set up, a trial could be right around the corner, or you're in the middle of one right now, or you just came out of one, right? We're going to hear that over and over and over again in James because it's the reality of life. Use money trials to pass the test. We talked about that last week, right? Passing the test of our trials. And in our money trials, we can all pass the test. If you find yourself in a place where you consider yourself poor, you're like, Pastor Mark, you know, I really don't. I don't have it all together. Maybe it's some decisions that we made as, as a family that now we're, we're, we're paying for. Uh, maybe I'm just not doing well at work. Whatever it might be. Those poor Those people who are poor, you get to rely on God more. And that is a good thing. The rich, we need to humble ourselves so that we don't have to be humiliated. Allow the the truths that are in scriptures to penetrate our heart, to change who we are, to, to live our lives, including the way we use and view money in a God honoring way so that you don't have to be humiliated. Use your resources to have an eternal impact knowing that you can't take them with you. None of us get to. So back to Brewster's Millions, we had talked about at the beginning that movie where he got the $30 million and he had to spend it quick and to try to get the rest of the inheritance. Imagine you had $100 million given to you The stipulation is that you had to spend it, Kevin and I decided on, 24 hours, right? I mean, you have all this money. You'd want to spend it quickly on things that you had to spend in those 24 hours that had long-term impact. You wouldn't want to just spend it on things that would fade away, like Brewster had to, right? No, you'd want to spend that on things that you could then benefit the world, benefit your family, pass on, benefit the the kingdom. We have to have a different 
mindset and outlook on our finances than the world does. Our financial resources are just like that. They're fleeting. But we can use them to have an eternal impact. Every week, we have an opportunity to change somebody's life for the kingdom with the way that we view money, with the way that we use our money. You can't take it with you. But the impact can be sent on to eternity. Money matters. Use it for the gospel.